0: Good morning and welcome to Lighthouse Community. I'm so glad you guys are with us today. My name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, thanks for joining us, especially all of our guests because you could have been anywhere that you wanted to be and you chose to be here today. And so thank you for trusting us to share scripture clearly uh, and to help you know God a little bit better. And so I also do want to take a moment, I want to welcome anybody from Bluffton Community, uh, our growing uh, campus online, Lighthouse Online, any friends from Living Hope. And then I know we've got- got some of the Faustoria launch team in the house, so we're glad that they're with us this morning. Yeah, very, very good. Hey, so today we're actually going to start right into our scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to start reading from verse 1 in the English Standard Version, but you can follow along on the screen or in the version that you have. But Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, amen, rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the, peace, uh, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. And so you see uh, one of the primary topics that's being talked about in Hebrews chapter 12 is the topic of discipline. And as I was thinking about that, I wonder when is the last time that you remember being disciplined, all right? Can you remember the last time you were disciplined right maybe you were maybe you were grounded uh, maybe you lost electronics and video games uh maybe you weren't allowed to hang out with your friends, right? And so, I'm I'm probably just describing the punishment that husbands and boyfriends have gone through the last week, right, of their lives. Um, And so, you know, for me, I remember the last time I was disciplined, I think I was about 15 years old. Uh, At that point, my parents had been divorced a little over a decade. I was living with my dad. My mom was uh, living about four hours away. And I don't remember what I did, but what I do remember is my mom grounded me for a week over the phone, (laughs) right (laughs) and it and it worked right for like two days and then all of a sudden I realized like she's not here right I can do what I want so I just showed up at the appropriate you know inmate phone call time and uh, said oh yeah I feel horrible about what I did I've been thinking a lot about it I'm going to be different and then I'd go do what I want uh, right and so that's how it worked because as a kid you think discipline is lame it's unreasonable it's just the man trying to keep you down. But then when you're a parent on the other side, what you're trying to do is you're trying to help your child make better decisions, right? You're trying to guide them to a better way. You're trying to share your wisdom with them. And you're trying your best, but not every discipline that you enact is always the best, right? It's not always right. It's not, it doesn't always uh, produce the fruit that you were hoping was going to happen. And what Hebrews 12 tells us, is that if you're a Christ follower, God is your father. That's, that's what this is saying. If you're a Christ follower, God is your father. What it also says is God, as our father, disciplines his kids sometimes, right? We do. We go through that. But there's a massive difference between our discipline as human parents and God's discipline in our lives. The big difference is this. God always gets it right. His discipline is always right, and his discipline is always good. But it begs the question, what do you do when you're under the Lord's discipline and you don't like it? What do you do? Because it happens. Oh, yeah, there you go. Rebel, yeah. Just on the inmate, phone calls, tell God, yeah, everything's fine, and then do what you want. Right? Yeah. What do you do? do? here's Here's another layer of that question. What do you do when the Lord's discipline actually shows up in your life as hardship, and even suffering. What do you do then? Because that's a whole other discussion, right? And so today what I want to do is I want to show you three truths about God's discipline, how that's tied to suffering, and one decision, one thing you can begin doing today that will actually change the way that you walk through suffering and challenges In your life Uh, and so we are actually this is the last teaching in our series called focus we've been talking about resisting the drift away from Jesus and if there's anything that causes people to want to drift away from Jesus it's when suffering comes into their lives when challenges show up it's more likely that people begin looking for something else somewhere else to alleviate them from the challenges and the issues that they're going through and so what we want to talk about today as we land the plane on this series is how do we focus on Christ and resist the drift away from him. So before we get into our actual teaching time, I do want to take a moment. Let's pray together. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I, just, I know from previous conversations I've had with lots of different people that this topic in and of itself, we, come, we all come from so many different angles on this thing. And in simply talking about this, some people are anxious. Um, other people, the, the things that we're going to talk about will actually well up anger and frustration within them. And yet, I know that for every one of us, because we're simply looking at the truth that you have spoken into our lives, that we can find healing, that we can find hope, that we can learn how to rely on you more than we ever have in our lives before through these different types of seasons. So I do want to pray for any of my friends, any of my family, that right now they sense the drift in their lives. And I pray that this time together in the scriptures would actually be a time to just focus on you, to look to you, and to trust you every single step of the way. And so we bring everything we're carrying, and we put it in your hands, and we say we trust you lead us in this moment, we pray. We ask these things through Christ's mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Okay, so the first truth I want to talk to you about out of Hebrews chapter 12 is this. Faith in Christ is marked with suffering. Faith in Christ is marked with suffering. You see, Discipline is the topic that's being talked about in Hebrews 12, but the real issue is it's really talking about suffering It's talking about hardship and challenges and the reason I know that there's a couple reasons But one of the big ones is the chapter just before Hebrews 11 It's usually referred to as the great hall of faith And so you have all of these accounts of Old Testament saints and the faith that they had walking with the Lord during that time And that's true I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I would also say is when you look at those accounts, even what's written in chapter 11, you also begin to see very quickly that those Old Testament saints faced opposition and even suffering because of their faith. Right? Think about Abel. Abel was simply killed for worshiping the Lord. Noah suffered under ridicule from people who did not believe what God had said to him. Right, Abraham suffered from doubt. Moses uh, suffered. He uh, he had an entire nation pushing against him and Aaron along the process. When you think about Joseph from the Old Testament, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and wrongly imprisoned for something that he never ever did. And so you begin to see this very uh, very clearly. When you look at, uh, actually, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 36, it begins to describe some other people. They don't give their names, but it shares their story. It says this, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. New Testament believers understood that suffering is a normal part of faith in Christ. They knew that. They understood that. Because they understood that suffering can come from other people when they oppose you in your faith. We, we call that persecution. right? It can come from that. Uh, Suffering can also come just simply from the human desires that we have that are outside of the will of the Lord. Suffering also shows up in our struggle and our battle against sin. And so there's all kinds of form that suffering can take. But what you need to know is if you're a Christ follower, you are going to face suffering. It's going to happen because faith in Christ is marked with suffering. And that statement alone bothers many, many Christians in America. Because we've tried to ignore the role that suffering plays in our lives and in our faith of every single believer. What what I see happening so much is too many people focus only on God's love, only on God's blessing, only on God's protection, only on God's healing. And in the midst of that, they try to ignore and look past any suffering that shows up in their lives. And what we've done is we've actually developed an understanding of Christian life that is inconsistent with Scripture, and it's actually inconsistent with our daily experience, right? Because suffering shows up. Challenge shows up. Hardships show up all of the time. And you've got to know that faith doesn't remove suffering. Because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never face challenge and you'll never face hardship in your life. Okay, that's not what that's saying. But what we do end up having, because you have, right, you have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the joy of the Lord, right? You have all of these promises and grace that God has shown to us. And all of those things show up in the presence of suffering. They don't necessarily negate, void, or take away suffering that may show up in your life. What ends up happening is it becomes more pronounced. God's goodness becomes more clear, right? The presence of the Holy Spirit becomes even more profound and sweeter in our lives because of the challenge that we're facing. But you have to understand that following Christ is marked with suffering. And and that leads us to our second truth because it has everything to do with that. Here's why faith in Christ is marked with suffering is because the gospel is marked with suffering. That's why. You, uh, verse 2 of chapter 12 says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of faith. And so what that means is Jesus is the perfect example of a life lived by faith in God. You will never find a better example than Jesus Christ on how to live a life of faith in God. And I want you to notice, if you look at verse 2, this is just verse 2. If you look at verse 2, you'll see how the author describes what the perfecter, what the founder of our faith, what his faith Looked like It's this, enduring the cross, disliking the shame that comes from sin, enduring opposition from sinners. That's, that's what faith is described in Jesus' life. Now, make no mistake, it also talks about joy that comes. It also talks about sitting uh, at God's throne. But you have to know that Jesus actually had to go through suffering. And the joy in the throne came on the back end had to walk through suffering. See, the gospel is marked by suffering. Uh, Look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 7 through 8, right? It says this, that Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death On a cross. What this is saying is that Jesus left his glory in heaven and he suffered becoming a human. He suffered limitations. He endured persecution from the very people who were supposed to be representing God. I want you to think about that. God himself showed up and the people who are supposed to represent God beat him, tortured him, opposed him, and killed him. Okay, this is what Jesus faced in his life. He suffered death on the cross. He suffered separation from the Father. He suffered under the weight of every sin from every person of all time. This is what Jesus went through. After his resurrection, he's talking with some of his disciples. And Luke chapter 24, verse 26, records this rhetorical question that Jesus asks his disciples, which is this. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, right? He had to walk through suffering for the glory on the back end. And so you've got to know that the gospel is marked with suffering. And so as the founder and as the perfecter of faith in God, Jesus' life becomes a model, becomes an example, and and it begins to indicate what our faith will look like and the things that we'll face. And so if the founder endured suffering, if the perfecter endured challenging and hardship, that means that we... Can expect to face suffering and challenge as well. So you have to know that the gospel is marked by suffering. But here's where everything changes, right? Following Christ is marked by suffering because the gospel is marked by suffering. But here's the third truth. Jesus has transformed suffering. Jesus has transformed suffering. See, verses 4 through 11 of Hebrews chapter 12 are a reminder. For some people who kind of already heard, but they forgot. But it's also new information for people who had never known this. And it's this. Here's what it's describing. That not all struggles, not all suffering, and not all hardships are punishment. That's what this is talking about. Not all struggles, not all sufferings, and not all hardships are punishment. In fact, for the Christ follower, there is no more punishment for sin. I need to say that again. There should have been about 47 amens behind that thing, okay? And so, right, so for the follower of Jesus Christ, there is now no more punishment for sin. That is so critical. Yeah, that is so critical. You have to understand that because Christ has taken on all of the punishment For your sin, not some of it, not most of it, not almost all of it. Christ has taken on all of the punishment for all of your sin if you are in Christ. In fact, it would literally be wrong for God to punish you for a sin that Christ has already taken punishment for. This is what James chapter 2, verse 1 is talking about when Jesus serves as our advocate. And so when you sin and you come to the Lord and you confess and you repent, right? Jesus is reminding the Father, uh, Father, you, you, you cannot punish Fritz for that sin because I've already taken punishment for that. And you know it would be against your character and you know it would be wrong to punish him for sin that you've already taken punishment for. That's so critical. And so because of that, Christ has transformed suffering. It's no longer punishment what it is. Is It's discipline. This is what Hebrews 12 is talking about. Now, for us, I think we get a little bit, we have an understanding of discipline that's different than what Hebrews 12 is talking about. Because Hebrews 12 discipline, we think of punishment when we think of discipline, right? Some type of retributive action. You didn't clean up your room, right? No electronics for you for the rest of the day, right? I'm going to show you what, you know, I I live in that world right now, okay? I got like three little kids, or four four of them. Yeah, that's right. I got four of them. Yeah. (laughs) I love them all dearly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> We're very close. Um, but, but discipline in Hebrews chapter 12 isn't about punishment. Actually, a better way to translate the word discipline in Hebrews chapter 12 is actually the word training. The better way to understand Hebrews 12 discipline is actually training. That when you face hardship, when you face, hard, when you face suffering, God is training you. He's training you. He's training you to rely on him. He's training you to come into the character of Christ like you never have before. He's growing you into the character of Christ. And so you need to know that God will actually use hardship to transform your life. And what that passage says is that when God trains you with difficulties, it is a sign that you are God's kid. When God trains you, with challenges, it is a sign that He loves you and that you belong to Him. If God, catch this, this is important. If God allows you to walk through hardships in your life, it's because He's inviting you to learn how to rely on Him in a way that you haven't picked up yet. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. And there's two important points about suffering that I want to draw out just very, very quickly. One, if you're a Christ follower, you do not have to be afraid of the hardships and the difficulties that you face. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wonder if God is punishing you or not because you know he's not. Right? Christ has already taken all of that for you. Here's the second thing that's important. It's it's a warning. And here's the warning. Not All suffering carries God's approval. Let me say that again. Not all suffering that you face carries God's approval. The reason I say that is there are some people, in an effort to uphold their theological philosophy, will say things like it was good for you to be abused. That it was God's plan for your family member to be murdered. That it was God's plan for you to face sexual abuse. And then you need to hear this. That was not God's plan. That was not God's plan. Sometimes sinful people do sinful things to hurt others. And that's the plain truth of it. That's what it is. And it doesn't carry God's approval that it happened in your life. But here's what the Bible would say. Here's what the Bible would say. That God can take evil acts done by sinful people that were designed to hurt you and maybe even kill you. And God can take those and actually transform them and bring his good out of those situations then his fingerprint's on that. You understand? There's a massive difference between those two things. That is how powerful our God is. That is how pow- that's, that's how Christ can transform suffering that you and I face in our lives. And so what does that mean for us today? And I think what that means for us is if the writer of Hebrews was here today, I think what he might say is this, that in your suffering, Fix your gaze on Christ, no matter what. That in your challenges, in your hardship, fix your gaze on Christ. Because you you are going to face suffering in your life. Every single Christ follower is going to, even if you are of faith. The suffering is going to look different at different seasons in your life right? Like, if you're if you're a middle school, high school, or college student here, it, it might look like this. You may face hardships because re- a relationship or a friendship ended that you thought well, you guys were going to be friends forever, and for some reason, it just it went kaputs, right? It could be uh, consequences that come as the result of experimenting with things like alcohol or drugs or sex outside of marriage. Uh, it could be uh, challenges that come from not being able to get into the school you really wanted to or uh, pursue a career that you had a deep desire for, right? It could Look like that, and then it doesn't get any easier if you have kids and you get married, right? Young families, your hardship might come through financial challenges, right? You 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 might uh, face the, the unique opportunity of raising kids that just have really significant uh, needs in their lives. You could be looked over promotions. You could be looking over, uh, be looked over for new opportunities. Lose someone that you love dearly, and, and you know if you're if you're past that phase, empty nesters, it doesn't necessarily get any easier. Because you could end up facing the divorce of a person you were married to 20 plus years and they just walk away from you. You could get the diagnosis of something that just you weren't expecting at all. You know what some people start doing later in life is they start feeling the weight of the reality that they used the peak years of their life to pursue stuff that didn't even matter because now they're seeing the reality of what real life really looks like. And then it doesn't even really matter what age you are because we have all kinds of people, all ages, all demographics, all financial strata who are suffering from mental illness, unmet expectations, feelings of isolation and loneliness. It's not a matter if. It's when. That's what it is. It's when. And when it comes. The scriptures would say, fix, right? You could be in the nursery right now, losing your mind, (laughs) right? Any age, it doesn't matter. When those times come, I guarantee they're coaching right now. Fix your gaze on Christ, little one. (laughs) Fix your gaze on Christ. You know, a few months ago, uh, Christina, my wife Christina and I, we went to the Toledo Museum of Art and uh, I've never been there before, and if you've never been, you should go too, and I'm not even a cultured person, and I really enjoyed it, right, and so uh, we went, and they have this, uh, a couple of rooms or sections, I don't know what you call them, uh, but that are just devoted to paintings that are focused on scenes from scripture or uh, historical uh, people of faith, things along those lines, and there was one painting that really grabbed my attention. It was actually a painting of the crucifixion of Christ, and so they had a bench there, uh, because if you're tired of standing, you can just sit down. I was hoping that some guy was going to come by with peanuts and hot dogs later, but that never happened. Um, but I'm sitting there, and I'm staring at this painting, and I'm just gazing at it. And what I'm noticing is I'm looking. Jesus is the centerpiece, right? Him on the, on the cross is the centerpiece. But as I'm gazing at this painting, longer and longer, I start noticing these additional details, I'm noticing there's a soldier in the background who's right offering the wine mixed with gall to Jesus on a hyssop branch. Down in the bottom right, uh, there's some soldiers who are gambling for Jesus' uh, clothes. I look to the left and there's Mary uh, surrounded by some other women. You can see her; she's just weeping because her son is being killed on the cross. And I'm just I'm noticing all of these additional details that are in there. And the longer I gaze at it, I actually begin to see the brushstrokes that are on the painting. And I'm starting to think this guy or this gal painted this thing literally hundreds of years ago as an act of worship unto the Lord and here I am looking at it and I'm noticing all of these fine intricate details as I'm gazing upon this painting and when you're facing hardship what Hebrews 12 is inviting is to fix your gaze on Christ and you look at him and you look at him you gaze upon him, and you focus on him, and you see all of the intricacies of who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. You think deeply about who he is. You think deeply about what he's done for you. The fact that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you right now, and he began, the Holy Spirit begins to remind you that the hardship you're facing, this is not punishment. In fact, I appreciate what the author Jerry Bridges writes. He says this, The purpose of God's discipline is not to punish us, but to transform us. But we must be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. That is the purpose of discipline. That, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, that is the purpose of discipline. And so when you're going through discipline, when you're going through training, fix your eyes on Christ. So the question then becomes, how do I do that? Very, very quickly, three ways that I think will help you fix your gaze on Christ from Hebrews chapter 12. First one is this. Think about Christ. It comes from Hebrews 12 verse 3. That verse starts out this. Consider him. Consider. To consider something is to think carefully with great effort and great precision. Actually, that Greek word is really closely related to our word analyze. You think about him. Right, You consider him. You fill your mind with thoughts about who Christ is. From the scriptures, you examine his life. You discover how he trusted God in his own times of suffering and hardship. You think about what it means to be saved from sin. And God's Holy Spirit is living in you. And that one day, you will be with him for all of eternity. Right? That'll, be, that'll transform you. Second way you can fix your gaze on Christ is to pray is to pray. Uh, chapter 12, verse 12 invites us to lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is a phrase that Jews would have recognized immediately. It's basically saying, hey, why the sad look on your face? Your, your countenance seems down. You seem discouraged. That's what, that's what verse 12 is talking about. And because when you go through challenges, it can be discouraging. And one way that you can battle through that is actually through prayer. I think a lot of times when we pray, we go, oh, well, God can change my situation through prayer. And I think that's true sometimes. But you know what happens every time you pray when you're going through things? God transforms you in the midst of your situation, sometimes without even changing the situation. And, and simply being transparent, um, and I think most would probably agree uh, today, is I don't think we fully understand or appreciate just how powerful prayer is. I don't think we truly realize this amazing gift and tool that the Lord has given us. And and that's exactly why uh, starting Sunday, June 4th, we're actually going to be kicking off a brand new series called Learn How to Pray. And so we're going to spend about five weeks together uh, breaking through the barriers to real real prayer. And so I hope you'll plan to be a part of that teaching because I think what it'll do, it'll actually help us move away uh, from what I would call like wishful Hopeful praying, you know, maybe God could, if I ask and put the code in in Jesus' name at the end, always say amen, uh, right? Um, I get people to agree with me, Um, then it'll happen, right? But instead, move to real prayer that's transforming. But, but I think prayer is a critical way to fix your gaze on Christ. And then here's the last way, is trust. It's trust. Hebrews 12.10 is the reminder that if God allows hardship or discipline into your life, it's good. It's actually good because he's inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to grow. This is a very critical mind shift for some of us in this room, some of us joining online. Being saved is way more than showing up in heaven. Salvation is way more than showing up in heaven after you die. Actually, the core of salvation is being transformed. It's constantly being transformed from who you were into the character of Christ, right? And and what's funny is a lot of people, right, they'll quote, like, Galatians chapter 5 and, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, and they can quote all nine of them, like, right, you know, they got their little song that goes with it too. And what you don't even realize when you're quoting that, it's not just the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit really is? It's the character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ, And so God is, even the Spirit is involved in transforming us into the character of Christ. It's very important to understand that when, when you come to him in faith, God will always accept you as you are. Let me say that again. When you come to faith in Christ for the very first time, God always accepts you as you are. And he never leaves you as you are. He always invites you to come walk with him into the character of Christ. And what will happen is God's training, God's discipline, hardships, will begin to reveal idols that you, you are protecting. It will begin to reveal insecurities that are lurking in the darkness. It will actually begin to real sin, reveal sin that you kind of enjoy, but you don't really want to admit it. That's what begins to be threatened in times of suffering and challenges. And instead of resisting him, you can walk with the Holy Spirit and be transformed in the process. That's what this is about. And so fix your gaze on Christ. I want you to notice one last thing, and it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, actually, verse 13 is a quotation of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. So I went to chapter 4, verse 26, and I began to read the passages around it, and I want to read this passage out loud together, and I think as you do, I want you to see and notice some of the parallels between what is in Proverbs 4 and then what we've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start with uh, looking straight ahead. Are you ready? Go. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. You catch a few themes that crossed over that Hebrews 12 borrowed from, right? Fix your eyes on that which lies before you. This is what Christ did. Christ looked ahead to the joy that was going to come. And it led him to walk through the suffering in his life for us. And so fix your gaze on Christ, because when you do, the Holy Spirit will empower you to face your suffering with courage. When you do fix your gaze on Christ, you will trust and know that God has a purpose for the situation that you're in to transform you now and bring you to ultimate victory. And when you fix your gaze on Christ, you will live with joy now, knowing that your current suffering will not be the final word on your life, but the final word on your life will be one of victory in Christ alone. The final word on your life will be well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. The final word on your life will be in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with nothing between you and him ever again. And it will make the things that you walked through in this world a distant memory. It'll change you. Last week... Some of you know, my, uh, just a few days ago, my wife, Christina, had an emergency appendectomy, and uh, she faced um, some complications that came out of that um, a day later. And so, um, you know, our family, our family was nervous. And just to be honest, some of us were scared about what was going on. Not me, because I'm not afraid of anything. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but God, God taught our family... A couple of things through that. She's she's fine, by the way. She was here in the 909 um, this morning, but um, God taught our family a couple of things through this. One of the first things, one of the most pronounced things I think I learned early on is that um, it takes one husband, three grandparents, and a handful of friends to do the, do the job of one mom. <laughs> My wife is a remarkable woman. I'll just I'll tell you that right now. She's not even in the room, and I mean that. Um, <laughs> She is. <laughs> but here's the second thing. God used you to help us keep our gaze fixed on Christ. You reached out with prayer. You you checked in on our family to see if we needed anything. You... Encouraged us. Uh, some of you sat down with my kids and just helped them process through some of the things that they were going through in that moment. And it was it was this family who helped us fix our gaze on Christ. And. And it was tough initially when things were going on. But one of the first things that I did when we knew where this was trending is I started sending messages to our family. I reached out to our elders. I got a hold of our staff, and I got a hold of some of our friends, and just saying, "Hey, I want you to know what's going on. This is what's happening. We would love your prayer. Um, we don't know all that's going on, but uh, just know we're going through this right now." And and the response was remarkable. And so I I would just say this on behalf of my family: thank you. Thank you for for walking with us over the last few days in our lives. Suffering is going to find you. Hardship is going to find you. Challenges and difficulties, they are going to find you whether you're looking for them or not. This is my prayer for you. Is that when they do find you, that they would find you with your gaze fixed on Christ. And that would make all the difference. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. In a family of this size um, it's, it, it's the likelihood is high and I, and I know many of you and some of us in this room like me like my family you're going through hardships you're facing difficulty right now you, you have been in the midst of suffering and maybe you've suffered a loss maybe you're facing significant challenges and you don't know when things are going to change some of you have been battling chronic pain and illness for not only months, but years. Others of you don't know the state of some of your relationships and what's going to happen and where you're going to go. And, and you're thinking about family members who are far from Christ and you've been praying for them and you've been, you've been asking the Lord to move in them in remarkable ways. And you're, and you're kind of waiting right now. And so I, w- I want to do something this morning that we don't normally do. It's a little bit different. Um, but like I said, one of the first things I did was was reach out to the people that I know loved me and would walk with me, and I think that made a massive difference for our family over the last few days, and so what I'm going to ask you, those of you who are going through situations in your own life, I'm going to ask you to take a step of courage as well and identify yourself if you're going through suffering, challenges, difficulty, hardship in your life, and in just a moment what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm actually going to ask you to stand right where you're at because what I want to do as your pastor is I want to be able to look you in your face and in your eyes and I want to be able to pray for you I might not know every person's name I think I'll know most of you but I'll definitely want to be able to see and remember your face and I want you to know that your pastor is praying with you and praying for you in some of the hardest seasons that you're going through and also it can be a way to say, hey, I would love people to pray for me. I would love to be encouraged. I would love for somebody to walk with me right now. And so if that's you, if you're if you're in the midst of difficulty, hardship, suffering, challenge, something's going on and you're like, man, I, I really want to be prayed for this morning. I'm just going to ask you right now if you'll stand up right here in the house. Go ahead, just right now, just stand right where you're at. Yep, I see that. Thank you. Yep, stand up right where you're at. That's fine. And if you're joining online and you're in the chat, I would say just let us know who you are. Um, Say, hey, will you pray for me? Um, And I will see that. And I will pray for you today. Because we're all going through things, right? We're all facing situations. And, And prayer, right? We talked about it. Prayer is one of the most powerful tools that we don't even fully realize. And God always does that in community. So simply by standing today, right? You're letting people know. Pray for me. Encourage me. Walk with me. And I want you to hear this. You are not alone in what you're going through. You are not alone. The Lord is with you. And your family right here at Lighthouse Community, we are with you through it. And so I want to pray for you right now as your pastor. Father, you know literally the names, the stories, every hair of On the head of each person that has stood, that's standing right now. You even know the ones who are going, I wish I had the courage to stand, but I'm afraid to. You know those who are joining us at home or wherever they're at right now. You know their names. You know their story and everything that they have been facing in their lives. And when they've broken down weeping, you have been there with them. Because we know that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, And none of this ever goes unnoticed. Nothing passes by without your knowledge and understanding. And so I pray for each one of my friends, each one of my family members this morning. I, I, you know, I will pray. I'm going to pray that you would bring healing in their situations. I pray that you would bring restoration. I pray that you would provide miracles that no one ever thought you would be able to do in these situations. I ask for that. But even more, I would ask that they, each person standing, now each person identifying, each person who desires you, they would recognize your presence in the most real way ever. That they would know they don't walk alone, but they walk hand in hand with the creator of the universe. And they are loved beyond measure. So much so that the father would send his only begotten son to step in their place. So that they could step in his place as sons and daughters. Would you teach us how to rely on you in ways we've never thought before? Will you transform us before you ever transform our situation, we pray? We trust you. This is our declaration of trust right now, Father, that we're gonna walk with you because we know you're gonna walk with us. We worship you in the midst of this. I'm gonna ask everybody else in the room this morning if you'll join us in standing as well as we prepare to worship. What's gonna happen is the band's gonna lead us in one more song. And I know that that I got to pray for you just now, but let me tell you what's gonna happen. There are our prayer partners, prayer leaders who are gonna be available in every corner of the room, right, up here by the cross, over here on my left, your right, back by the double doors, over here by the sound booth. People, they'll have lanyards, they'll be conspicuously marked to pray with. And And I would encourage you, go, don't don't pass up this blessing to be prayed with and to be prayed over today. Because there's something wonderful about leaning into the ear of somebody and saying, this is the thing I'm going through. Will you pray for me? And I can't tell you the number of times I get prayed for on a Sunday morning by one of these leaders, and they pray exactly what... I need to hear in that morning. And many times they're praying differently than I thought. And it's better, (laughs) right? Because I'm all like focused in on my problem going away. And they're focused in on helping me to know the Lord Jesus more closely than I've ever known him before. And so I'm grateful for this team. I would invite you to leverage them this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us.